You're listening to the NASM CPT Podcast with Rick Ritchie, the official podcast of the National Academy of Sports Medicine. Welcome to the NASM CPT Podcast. My name is Rick Ritchie, and today we're going to follow up in, in episode two of a conversation we were having last week, which was on periodization and programming, and what we uh, also talked about routines, and what's the difference between periodization, between a program, and between an exercise routine. I think those uh, it was a good conversation we had last week, but this week we're going to dig into programming and periodization and components of a workout a little bit more. So what, what routinely goes into your workout that you need to get better at, that you should focus on as a fitness professional, as a certified personal trainer, and then start working in what periodization and programming looks like within those things. So we know that periodization and programming are not necessarily the same thing. Periodization, uh, they're the cycles of training that tends to take place. And often we talk about a macro, a meso, and a micro cycle. And in sports, periodization may include those same concepts, but they can be changed a little bit based on the season. So we have off-season, pre-season, in-season, and then hopefully, fingers crossed, post-season. And off-season may have several different training cycles because you're probably going to be out of season much longer than you're going to be in a training season unless it's... um, professional baseball and then they play forever but early on an off-season program is going to be focused on recovery you've just played an entire season you've got to repair your body so recovery this is at the end of the season when it's all over and people head out on their boats and they got to take a break they go back home because school is out and their season is over at university right so the off-season is going to have initially recovery And then after a progressive lead-in, whether it's a long microcycle or a single mesocycle, those programs can focus more and more on intense exercises. And it depends on the sport, but most sports that come to mind are going to have intense training programming involved in them at some point. And that's usually done in the off-season. Now, I don't want to spend too much on... Uh, periodization and meso, macro, micro cycles right now, or uh, sports programming. But what I do want to talk about is what are, what's going to be in the programs that are written for those periodized routines? What's in them? So the routine components that compromise a program can include the following. Warm-up, flexibility, cardio programming or metabolic programming, core balance, reactive, and plyometric training, speed, agility, and quickness training, resistance training, and then cool downs. So what we do is we look at all of these and say, okay, well, let conceptually look at warm-up. What is going to be in a warm-up? Well, people tend to maybe do cardio for a warm-up. Okay, People tend to do some flexibility training for a warm-up. Certainly, when we think about athletics, we think about people out in the field and they're doing their Frankenstein kicks and their knee hugs and um, perhaps lunging with rotation or inchworms and Spider-Mans and these really dynamic uh, leg swings and other things that come to mind as part of a flexibility program. So working on our mobility and flexibility cardio and cardio components can be a part of the warm up. They can be part of a workout. Right, but we think about cardio as being part of a warm up. Um, so let's 
And also think about core balance and reactive training, and even speed, agility, and quickness can be a component of a warm-up that all really starts to prepare you for a more engaged resistance training program. So the warm-up can include many different things. As a matter of fact, even resistance training has a warm-up, which is the lighter set of the same exercise that you're about to do in a heavier set. So the programming there with a warm-up, warm-up isn't just at the beginning of let's say a one hour workout, you can have warm-ups at the beginning of a set of exercises that you're about to do. So warm-ups is just prepping the body for movement, prepping it for the exercise and the intensity that you're about to go through. And honestly, it's not about getting warm necessarily. It's, it's certainly about blood flow and there's warmth to blood, um, but it's not so much about are you warm yet. I used to I used to use this example all the time. Like I'd say chocolate chip cookie dough, and it's all gooey, and, and you can move it, and it gets warm. You can move it more easily. But if you put it in the freezer, then it's hard as a rock. And I agree. It I, I agree with that. That's true. Except at no point are your muscles in a freezer. I was I was mixing metaphors that should never take place. So honestly, your muscles are always warm. They're always somewhere around 98.6 degrees. So if you're working out and your body starts to heat up, then you sweat in order to not get that hot. So I don't think it's as much about are you warm? I think it's a lot more about are you ready to function neurologically and metabolically? And that metabolic function is physiologically preparing your body to advance and exercise. And neurologically, are you ready to move at speeds that you're supposed to move at um, for duration that you want to move at? So what happens is that people tend to strain a hamstring and things like that. If they don't warm up appropriately, it's not because they weren't warm. It's because neurologically, your muscles are likely tightening when they're stretching because they're trying to protect from being stretched that far, but because you're running at such an intense speed when you actively contract the hamstring and say, hey, I don't think we should be moving this far this fast, and it contracts, that's when this kind of eccentric pull takes place and a hamstring strain happens. And those things can be bypassed if you just neurologically prepare the muscles for working out. So that's part of your routine. That's what we should think about doing Every single day, regardless of the workout, the, the routine that you do will have a warm-up involved, and the warm-up will change based off of what that workout's going to look like. And then there, beyond that flexibility component, there's cardio. And we know that there are cardio components or metabolic components to, to working out. Now, some people, you say the word cardio immediately to mind. It means going for a long run or getting on a piece of cardio equipment and doing that for 30 minutes or more. And that is cardiovascularly and respiratorily challenging, and I agree with that. Um, and then we tend to use a different language when we work out with resistance, and we call it metabolic conditioning. But that's all honestly the same thing. It is cardio. It is metabolic. It is about working your energy system. So we could talk about it as energy system training. Are you doing aerobic? Are you anaerobic? Are you glycolytic uh, in different phases of your training? And honestly, yes, your resistance training can be cardio. Uh, your heart doesn't know the difference if you're on a treadmill or you're swinging a kettlebell. 
Your heart doesn't know the difference that if you're doing squats and how many times you got done doing a set of squats and you felt like your, your heart was going to pump out of your chest. Like that is a cardio and a metabolic demand on your system. That's why we do circuit training a lot of times so that we maintain a cardiorespiratory metabolic demand on our system. So that can be part of our workout. It can be part of our warm-up. Yes, absolutely, it can be part of the warm-up. But your resistance training can also serve as cardio and metabolic conditioning as well. And then you'll hear NASM oftentimes talk about, as a means of preparation, core balance and reactive training, and optionally speed, agility, and quickness. So let's talk about that for a moment. People say to me multiple times, Rick, I heard that you're supposed to do core at the end of the workout. After everything is done, the, the core and the abs and those things should be the very last thing that's done. And I, th I think there's certainly reason for that, and I agree with that, uh, depending on what phase and what cycle and what part of the programming and your periodization uh, you're working on right now. But I also say this. Um, we talk about core training not because we want you to absolutely exhaust your core. That's not what we're talking about. We're talking about core training because we want you to be able to engage your core when you do multiple exercises. And of course, that's what other people say, like your core is used in everything, so don't do core training at the beginning, do core training at the end because you don't wanna be exhausted in your core before you go and do these major lifts. And I agree with that, but I also want your core to be engaged when you go and do these major lifts. So if you have a core that's not being as responsive that it needs to be, you've got stabilizers that you need to activate while you're doing these primary big movements, really all core warmup is is just a couple of slaps in the face, shake them a little bit and say, hey, are you awake? Are you participating? And once you get the core activated, kind of warmed up, prepared for movement or stabilization, regardless, depending on what it is that you're going to be doing, now the core can be better integrated into your resistance training program. And if then you want to do at the very end extra sets to fatigue of abdominal and midsection exercises, have at it, go for it. But I also want to say this regarding uh, the concept. If you want to spend time on the most important section of your body, it should not be at the very end of your workout. So if you, for instance, want to prioritize core exercises, then prioritize them in the beginning of a workout. If you wanted to prioritize um, different parts of the body, then you don't want to do them once they're already a bit fatigued. So you want to do them when you can do them with the best form and the best consistency and repetitiously in good form at the speed and the tempo and the rep range that you need to perform them in depending on the intensity that you're looking for. So as a thank you for listening to the NASM CPT podcast, I've got a special offer for you. 20% off of any NASM order. You can use that 20% to get certified as a personal trainer through our CPT program, the standard for the fitness industry, or expand your career with one of our specializations, including our latest one, NASM Nutrition Certification, which gives you the skills to be a certified nutrition coach. Get 20% off your order by calling 800-460-6276 or visiting nasm.org and using the code PODCAST20. That's 800-460-6276, and the discount code is PODCAST20. Start changing even more lives today.
adding the core exercises in, we do it in the beginning because we just want to smack them awake a little bit and make sure the core is participating. And then we add balance components into it. And if you've never done balance training, I, I'm going to tell you, it's, it's harder than you remember it being when you and your friends were standing on a single leg when you're in first grade and trying to see who would be the last one standing. Uh, it is much more challenging as an adult now. So I'm going to say go through a series of balance training exercises. But what that will do is it will start to stimulate smaller muscles in the foot and in the ankle, in the calves, in the hips, and in the core to stimulate them to start working together to maintain alignment and stabilization while you're on one leg so that they can be more involved in exercises. The smaller muscle groups can be more involved in exercises as you start to move into more progressive exercises. And then we've got what we would call reactive training. And then reactive training, it's probably best called reactive training in phase one. And then, and when you get into the second and third levels of the OPT model, strength and power training, probably a bit more plyometric would be the, the word that would be used. So reactive is how you're reacting to ground reaction forces. And certainly, certainly you do that in every one of them. But what we do here is we don't focus on the stretch reflex in our very first phase. We focus on landing mechanics. So if you're in phase one of your periodization, your program, phase one programming, and it's part of this mesocycle that you're working through in periodization, that phase one programming, you're not doing a bunch of repeating jumps. You jump and you land softly, as soft as you can, like a ninja, quietly, and absorbing those forces. And when you absorb those forces and you maintain that, you focus on landing in good mechanics, then as you start to progress, it could become plyometric, which is now decelerating that force, minimize that amortization phase, and use the stretch reflex or the plyometric to actually get you higher up into a jump. And we'll do that as part of simply preparation, maybe even a warm-up for people that are training. Now, can should some people not do reactive training? I mean, yes, you can certainly argue that, but you can certainly regress it so that everybody can do it, so everyone is learning to react to ground reaction forces. For instance, if you have somebody that, may, and let's say, say elderly, and I'm not trying to put elderly in a box, but let's say elderly, and you don't want them jumping and then landing, then what you could do is you could just do a quick drop into a quarter squat, Boop, right into a quarter squat, and then hold that. And hopefully what you would do there is start to prepare this person for a short, quick deceleration, and then boom, stabilize it, hold it. Stay right there. Good, stand back up, and drop again, right? And so now you've got them reacting to uh, this, this quick lengthening or eccentric phase that could be beneficial, and then potentially move into more kind of uh, uh, leaving the ground, so more jumps and things like that. Um, though they might be small, it might also be indicated depending on who you're working with. Speaking of what's indicated, we've got speed, agility, and quickness training, and um, uh, we, we, will, we will spend more time on another day talking about SAQ and what the differences are between those three things, but I do want to talk about the, 
idea of speed, agility, and quickness and how that's optional, but also how it's a good warm-up. And it's optional because speed, agility, and quickness can be modified based off of what level uh, in your periodization and your programming that you're in. So you're doing a mesocycle in phase one of the OPT model, and stabilization, you're trying to figure out, well, how do I use speed, agility, and quickness inside of a model that says I'm focusing on stability and endurance. And just because you're doing that doesn't mean that you can't do more dynamic activities. That's where speed, agility, and quickness comes in. But you can also do dynamics that require endurance and stabilization. So think about maybe if you're even doing like a ladder drill where you go two in, one out. So you tap, 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 right? So and then when you're training at big speeds, you're going to ta 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 You can't tell the difference in your feet touches when it's in, in, out, in, in, out. But you might cue them and have them just say, every time you get to the out, hold that for five seconds. So now they're going tap, tap, tap. Hold, hold, stabilize, stand on that single leg. Tap, 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 go into the other side of the ladder. Hold it, stabilize on that single leg. And so now you're including balance training into your SAQ. You're including stabilization training into your uh, SAQ inside of that level in the OPT model. So your focus is now on, yes, I'm doing a, a endurance-based portion of my periodized program, and I'm also making speed, agility, and quickness fall in line based on what I want to focus on, what my client outcomes need to be, which is that stability endurance. And then we can go into resistance training. And resistance training, certainly we have a lot of different concepts of what is included in resistance training and what resistance training is. But resistance training is flexibility. Right? Resistance training does take you through larger range of motion, and you need flexibility for that. So your flexibility can help support your resistance training. Uh, a core can be part of your resistance training. Even though we kind of move it out of it, we say resistance training or your core training is going to be in preparation for your resistance training. Core training can also be a part of resistance training. Um, when we look at resistance training, we're going to think about lifting weights and uh, valid. We can and should think about that. But it also includes body weight exercises. Your body is the resistance. Bands and tubing will be resistance. So this program we put together for resistance training is really going to focus on, well, how do I do that? We do it based on the OPT model where we go stabilization, endurance, strength, endurance, and then we can look into hypertrophy, max strength, and then move into power phases. And there's kind of some other bookends on that. The, at the bottom, maybe a little bit below that, could be corrective exercise as we start to gear people into it. And at the top of that, we can, we can add on some real sports performance training at the top of our, our power program and focus on maximal uh, power outputs and more plyometric type activities throughout our entire body. So the resistance training program and the resistance training periodization, we just simply will look at the, the OPT model and find out, well, this is a good guide for performance training. As a matter of fact, it's called the optimal performance training model. And it was initially designed for elite level athletes 
uh, and it was utilized in the Olympics and with several NBA teams before it was even brought into the National Academy of Sports Medicine and then shifted focus with that model because it worked so well in these other sports performance environments that it was shifted into a general performance training concept where we can optimize anybody's performance based off their goals. And that doesn't mean, like, it doesn't matter if, if it's your Nana uh, and it doesn't matter if you're just a recreational exerciser. We can optimize it by focusing on the same things that we had discussed before, which is we're going to add periodization, we're going to add programming, and we're going to look at the construct of what routines are involved. And again, those routines are what, what are you going to put in every day inside your program? You might focus on resistance training and cardio, or within a week, this is just a routine core, balance, reactive, um, SAQ, resistance training. You're going to do a warm-up. You're going to do a cool-down. You're going to do cardio and metabolic training. That's all routinely added into your program. So I hope this kind of gives you an idea, again, about routine. And routine, as we talked about in the previous episode, could be routine is what days you work out, what times you're committing to work out. Um, but it also can become a bit too routine when it comes to exercise selection. And so wanted to spend a bit of time today talking about the NASM concept and what components make up our routines. And then you periodize those routines based off of what you want your outcomes to be. Anyway, I hope this was very helpful for you, and uh, I hope that you keep giving me feedback and let me know what you want to hear about. You can hit me up on IG at dr.rickrichie, R-I-C-H-E-Y, or you can hit me up at rick.richie at nasm.org and let me know what you think and what you would like to hear about, and that could be in regard to anything a CPT needs to know. We've been focusing on exercise, so if you want to hear a little bit more about um, business, if you want to hear a little bit more um, about what's next for me as a personal trainer, what can I do? I've been training for a while. What's next? What's my next direction? What are other things out there that I can do? Like just whatever you think goes inside of the box of personal training as a certified personal trainer, and you want to hear about, shoot me a message, let me know, and we'll try to have that conversation uh, on the mic. All right. Thanks a lot for listening. This is the NASM CPT podcast.